Welcome to the Alco's Mainstream Podcast. It's a pleasure to have you on. Thank you. Excited to be here. So you've done an incredible amount in your career in the alt space and from founding Pamco to building Martlet now, you've seen the evolution of the alt space in a number of ways and you're early on in the hedge fund world, which is where Pamco played. We'd love to hear more about your background and how you've thought about the evolution of the alt space as you've built your career at Pamco and now Martlet. Yeah, it's been a fascinating 35 year career. When I started, people were investing in stocks and bonds. And just to be clear, it was U.S. stocks and U.S. bonds. And now alternatives, which really started to appear post-1998 in big, big part of uh, many asset owners' portfolios, have now become very mainstream. And I think we use the word alternatives not so much that they're an alternative to traditional investments. They just provide alternative risk exposures to the traditional economy. And so it's been quite a fascinating ride. I'd love to get into your view on how the alt space, maybe in particular the hedge fund world, number one, has evolved. You started Pamco in 2000, the early days for hedge funds. The total AUM in the hedge fund world has increased dramatically. First talk through what you saw that made you decide to go into the hedge fund world at that point in time, how you saw it evolve and how you grew with it. And then after that, what do you think are the asset classes that are next that may look like or mirror the rise of hedge funds over time? So I actually got involved with hedge funds in the late 80s. I built a database of hedge funds around 1990. I think there were about 400 in it. I think I had pretty close to two thirds of the ones that were out there. They're all the ones I could find. But we didn't talk about them as hedge funds. In fact, most of them were long, short, equity-oriented or managed futures. And the consulting firm I'm with used several hedge funds, but they were in the equity portfolios. And there was an interesting gentleman called Julian Robertson who actually shorted some stocks in addition to going long. And, of course, he founded Tiger and all the Tiger Cubs, and the, the story goes on. But he was just considered an alternative equity manager. Then, as you know, markets go up and go down. And whether it's the 93, 94 stock market collapse, 87, 98, 2008, afterwards people stand around and say, why am I locked into being long through all markets? I can short as well as go long. And so that's where the genesis of a lot of these hedge funds came from. So as you think about the evolution of the hedge fund space, now there's hedge funds that have all sorts of strategies, number one. Number two, you now see crossover funds. Actually, the, the name in which you use, Tiger, is also in private markets now as well, in addition to public markets. And we're seeing an evolution in that business model itself. What do you think is next that will look similar to the hedge fund world when it comes to the alt space? I think the key point is to go back to the asset owner place, which is the asset owners are the big institutional investors. They have to invest people's money. About the only free lunch that's available out there is diversification, which is to have different return streams. 
This is why people have looked at putting money overseas into foreign equity markets, different things. The more innovative, sophisticated asset owners these days are looking for alternative return streams, return streams that don't correlate perfectly with stock market risk, because that's how you produce better returns. By having a diversified portfolio, the ups aren't as big, but the downs aren't as big. And one of the mathematics behind diversification is that to go from zero to 100, I have to be up 100%. But if I go down first, if I lose half my money, I have to be up 100% to make it back. You have to be very concerned about the downs, particularly if you're a big pension plan, which are the largest investors, because you have to pay your benefits regardless. On the alternative space, people are looking into, uh, for example, things like music royalties that are off the beaten path. 20 years ago, who would have thought that a musician would go out and sell the future royalties? They're looking at ways to take art objects, whether it's in the digital space, NFT, or actually even in the physical space, actual art paintings, things that appreciate in a very different way, particularly when you think about inflation. One of the big issues, though, is you have to also maintain liquidity in the portfolio. From that perspective, how do you think people in those markets, if they want them to mature and scale in the way that other markets that have had liquidity options in some way, shape, or form, how do you think they will go about creating liquidity options in these more illiquid, opaque asset classes that may also need the market structure built around it, like the data needs to come pre and post trade, you need the custody solutions. How do you think about those those market structures evolving from pre to post trade, including things like liquidity options? Over time, as these return streams produce very attractive return patterns compared to traditional return patterns, the infrastructure develops. For example, if you look at insurance-linked bonds, I looked at that market a long, long time ago, and what an insurance-linked bond today looks like versus 20 years ago is very, very different. So as these markets mature, structures change, institutions come in, but then unfortunately, as more capital comes in, the returns sometimes go down, so you're off looking for the next one. So what's made the alternatives industry such a fantastic place to be is it's always innovative and there's always new things going on. On that point and something to tie it back to some of the things you said, you mentioned NFTs, you mentioned the rise of hedge funds. There were 400 hedge funds when you were looking in the 80s. In 2017, I think there were 74 crypto funds. What do you think are the lessons to be learned from the evolution of the hedge fund industry to the evolution of the crypto industry, and what should managers and LPs be thinking about? So two things. One is that if you go back to the start of hedge funds, I said they're almost all managed futures or equities. Now we have a whole panoply, credit hedge funds, all sorts of things that didn't exist. If you look at the 74 crypto funds that are out there today, I will virtually guarantee in five years what these funds look like will be very different. Many of them will evolve to this difference, but you're also going to see new entrants into it. I think that's really important for people to pay attention to, and particularly when you're early in the space, one of the worst things to do, in my opinion, is to make an investment and then walk away and play Rip Van Winkle and come back in 10 years. 
new alternatives investments need to be very actively managed because things are changing very, very quickly. What are the types of assets that you're focused on investing in at Martlid? You mentioned some of these really interesting and more esoteric asset classes. We, we cover this at All Coast Mainstream because I think this is not just on the institutional side, but on the retail side. These are very interesting and appealing assets because of the culture component or passion assets, but they also have potential for financial return. How are you thinking about these various asset classes, some of which you may have mentioned? So we believe in diversification. I chair several investment committees and what we believe is it's prudent to be diversified with different returns. It's very easy to look back and say, oh, if I put a dollar 10 years ago in the U.S. stock market and just held the market long, it would have been the best thing. And that's true if you could guarantee what happened over the past 10 years is what happens goes forward. But the moment we all become convinced we know what's going to happen, another shoe tends to drop. There's been a lot of interest in international markets, but then when you look at all the sanctions in the past uh, month, that's changed some of those issues. And people are relooking at some of the East Asian economies now differently. So it continues to evolve. What are the things that are most interesting and exciting to you when it comes to the alt space? Um, the most interesting thing to me are the blurring of getting back to why the capital markets exist which is pride and capital to companies. So it's blurring things. And you've seen some of the very, very big asset managers, particularly with large retail presences, do a lot of this. You'll see the Fidelities and the Wellingtons who have been very early in some of these almost venture capital situations and then they take them through and hold them through public companies. And that to me is a very interesting storyline. Do you think that's going to persist going forward where there's this blurring of private and public markets in a sense? You mentioned Tiger. They now have public and private investors and they want to invest across the life cycle. Sequoia recently flipped their structure to a holding company structure where they can invest in private and public markets. Is that a trend that you see that will continue to persist as the world changes in terms of how people think about asset allocation? I believe so. But often I've been wrong, but I believe so. I think we sort of got to a point 20 years ago where stocks weren't stocks. In fact, there's still more funds on the New York Stock Exchange than underlying stocks. Instead, I think it's less about being data points and anonymized data as to what's fundamentally going on with the company. I think we're in a renaissance of building new companies. I think the world's changing. You go through these periods. I mean, sure, there were changes between 1950 and 1980, but they weren't huge. If you look at the economy between 1980 or 1990 and today, it's, it's huge changes. And I think when you're going through these inflection points in the general economic cycle, you tend to have to invest using methodologies that rely on looking more forward than backwards. So on this point, do you think that the skill set or training for people who are going into this world now or who are starting funds in the alternatives world needs to change given all the things that you've mentioned that are going on in the space? No, I think people grow and there's a lot of big organizations. Obviously, I was chair of the board for several years at Kaya, Chartered Alter Investment Analyst. And I think organizations such as this are really important to help keep knowledge around. We're at the frontier of investing and it's important to have a neutral source that produces really good work. That's fantastic. So I always end 
this podcast asking every guest the same question, which is, what is your favorite or most interesting alternative investment? To be diversified. That's the best thing, to be diversified. Don't put all your eggs in one basket, no matter how tempting it is. That is tried and true advice from someone who's been a market veteran and seen probably most that you can see in this world. So thanks, Jane, for coming on the Alco's Mainstream Podcast. It's a pleasure to have you. Thank you for having me. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Alco's Mainstream. I hope you enjoyed it. You can find more episodes of the podcast at any of your favorite podcast sites, and you can read more about alts at my Substack, altgoesmainstream.substack.com, and follow me on Twitter at, at Michael Sigmore and at GoesAlt. Thanks a lot, and have a great day. We're going